This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, comprehensive immigration reform in the United States. It's more than a domestic issue, resonating through Mexico and many parts of Latin America. We'll have several views on the politics, the policies, and the practices. But first, Megan Eckhamel is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Left-wing rebels in Colombia and the country's government have reached another point of agreement in their peace negotiations. The rebels will be able to transition into a political party in Colombia if a peace is successfully negotiated. The Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or the FARC, have negotiated in Cuba with the Colombian government for the past year. Marcos Calarca, one of the leaders of the FARC, reacted to this new step in the peace process. We are working hard to build the agreement. It's an important issue. It's a crucial issue, and we have to get to the bottom of the matter. That's what we're doing right now. The peace talks are a step to end the almost 50 years of civil war in Colombia. A study shows around 220,000 people have died in the conflict. The conflict has turned hundreds of thousands into internal refugees. The FBI now has airline hijacker William Potts in custody, almost 30 years after he told flight attendants he had a bomb that he would explode unless their plane touched down in Cuba. For years, Potts has described himself as a revolutionary. But he recently decided to return to the U.S. to face justice. And he hopes the system shows him leniency after his self-imposed exile. Potts said he was seeking closure by returning to the United States. Cuban authorities convicted Potts of air piracy, and he served 13 years in a Cuban prison. He now faces charges that could land him in U.S. prisons for up to 20 years. However, U.S. officials have a history of leniency, with returning hijackers that have served time in other countries and pled guilty. Potts was a member of the Black Panthers, He hijacked a 56-passenger plane and forced it to fly to Cuba in 1984. A former Guatemalan dictator will go on trial again in January of 2015. A Guatemalan court convicted Efrain Rios Mant in May on genocide and war crimes charges. The court sentenced him to 50 years in jail for genocide and 30 years for crimes against humanity. However, Guatemala's constitutional court overturned the decision. The court believed Rios Mont was denied due process because his lawyer was thrown out of the courtroom during a hearing, leaving Rios Mont without legal counsel. Rios Mont's charges include ordering the deaths of almost 2,000 ethnic Mayans during his short 18-month rule. He still denies any responsibility for their deaths. Venezuela is expanding its governing power to happiness. President Nicolás Maduro announced the creation of the Viceministerio para la Suprema Felicidad Social, or the Deputy Ministry for Supreme Social Happiness. 
the ministry will address complaints, process applications, and monitor the program's processes and effectiveness. It will oversee the social programs of the country, called Misiones. These programs provide free health care to the poor Venezuelans, help the elderly, those with disabilities, and give access to education. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Ackhamel. Thanks, Megan. Controversies over President Barack Obama's landmark health care reforms dominate the headlines here in the U.S. But the president has promised comprehensive immigration reform now tops his legislative agenda. The U.S. Senate has already passed their version of a reform, but the effort is now stalled in the U.S. House of Representatives. Today we spoke by phone with Tamar Jacoby about the prospects for this initiative. Jacoby is the chief executive officer of Immigration Works USA, an organization supporting immigration reform. Here are excerpts from our interview. Well, comprehensive immigration reform is in a bit of a in a bit of a waiting pattern, uh, in a bit of a stalled moment. Uh, there was a lot of momentum earlier in this year. The Senate. Uh, passed a major comprehensive immigration overhaul. That wasn't easy. Uh, there was a lot of negotiation and a lot of of uh, bipartisan uh, effort on both sides of the aisle. A lot of a lot of give and take, and they finally got to a bill and they passed it out of the Senate with a lot of drama in June. And it was a comprehensive bill, so it covered all the different aspects of what's broken with the immigration system from. Enforcement on the border isn't as effective as it should be, all the way to the unauthorized immigrants who are living in the country without papers, and uh, covered all those aspects in one big 1,197-page piece of legislation that covered every detail, very dramatic, very thorough, very far-reaching piece of legislation, including what have shaped the will, if it it ever has those, or would have shaped, really reshaped the immigration system. What happened next was the, the House... Of course, the, Demo- the, the Senate is democratically controlled, and the House is Republican controlled. And there's a—it's it's true now more than ever—the House doesn't like to follow the Senate as if it was following a Big Brother or a, or a, or some sort of uh, well, as if it was following in anybody's tracks. The House wants to do things its own way, and the House doesn't is because it's Republican-led rather than Democratic-led. Wants to you know, it's another reason why it wants to do it its own way. So the House has been slow to follow up. It doesn't mean it's not going to follow up. I think it may. But the problem is a lot of, a lot has gone on in Washington that's made it that's made things more complicated. The truth is if you're if you if you're paying close attention, Republicans in the House are I believe eager to do something on immigration. Republicans this is new. Two or three years ago, that was not true. Now they are. Leadership of the Republicans in the House is eager to do something, and many, many of the ordinary rank-and-file members are eager to do something. But but, but politics in Washington are very log-jammed at the moment. Democrats and Republicans are having a hard time getting along on anything. The White House and the and Congress is having a hard time getting along and accomplishing anything, and even within the House, the leadership and some of the more conservative rank and file are having a hard time agreeing on anything. And all of that is poisoning the atmosphere for immigration reform. So it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The people who need to act, I believe, want to act. But right now we're in a bit of a waiting pattern because of this larger dynamic of poisoned politics. We saw the government shutdown 
last month, and that is probably some of what you're referencing in the logjam. And at the end of the shutdown, many people were saying, because President Obama was promising this was next on the legislative agenda, many people were saying that this absolutely was not going to get done this calendar year. We'd be lucky if it got done in 2014, and it's more likely to look at this as 2015. Is that an accurate prediction from your I, point of view? I, I don't think anyone knows. I don't think anyone knows. It's a, it's a parlor game in Washington to predict when things are going to get done, and immigration in particular, and everybody in town has an opinion. Um, I, I think opinion tends to be it's often too optimistic or it's too pessimistic. Uh, people, you know, like think they might want to predict. It's like predicting when a hurricane is going to happen. The, what, I, what I think is definitely true is that if this becomes, if the president makes this his initiative, the Republicans in the House will be very hesitant to do it. That's one of the things that's blocking it right now. Republicans do not want to give President Obama a win. And, you know, it's unfortunate that that kind of thing gets in the way of making policy, but it just does. And that's one of the things that's holding us up now. I think it's possible that this could happen next year. The conventional wisdom is that election can't happen, in it, uh, that immigration cannot get passed in an, in an election year. I think that conventional wisdom is wrong. We have several months in uh, early next year, January and February, before the primaries start. Then you have a period... Uh, from, I don't know if it's April through June or something like that, after most of the filing deadlines have happened on the primaries, and many of the primaries are over. So there's kind of a second window. The first window is earlier in the year. The second window is perhaps late spring, early summer. And then there's a long tradition of immigration reform getting passed in the lame duck session, which is after a, a, a congressional election. So, And that would be obviously in November and December. We have three windows next year, and I think it's way too soon to say it's not going to happen. I, I agree with people it's probably not going to happen before January 1st, but you know, I think the idea that January 1st was our deadline was kind of an arbitrary deadline in the first place. There's nothing in the Mayan calendar that says the world will end if we don't get to this by January 1st. Some people looking at this have used the term referring to the comprehensive bill that came out of the Senate, that that bill gives undocumented workers amnesty. What is your answer and response to those who have that particular view? Gosh, you know, amnesty has been a, 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 a term of abuse around this debate for, I don't know, close to a decade now. And it's a little silly because it's a term that people can use to mean anything. If you agree that people, if you, if you give people any kind of way to work their way out of their wrongdoing, people call it amnesty. I think that argument is losing power. When I spend time on Capitol Hill, I hear more and more House Republicans, and I want to emphasize Republicans, talking about the possibility that they would vote for a bill that would give unauthorized immigrants legal status. Now, they're talking about something short of citizenship, but they're talking about legal status. And these are the same people who used to say amnesty, amnesty, amnesty. So I think that amnesty argument is losing some of its power. More and more Republicans are recognizing that they need to come up with an answer. I don't hear anybody talking about barring people from citizenship. It's more about whether the whether the provision would, would create a special path for unauthorized immigrants that's different from what other from what other immigrants use. We've seen discussion about the strategy in the House. If this comes up, it may be a smaller bill or a series of smaller bills that may not address all of the things that the Senate bill did. Is that is that strategy still on the yeah, table. that's what I expect. That's exactly what I expect to happen. The, the House, one of the one of the 
things that the House has kind of already decided and, and taken a stand on is that they don't want to pass a great uh, an 1197-page bill. And they, the same way they, the House Republicans didn't like Obamacare, they felt that it had a lot of stuff in it. They that they voted for that you know there was one vote and people were voting for stuff they didn't like. They want to break it down into more bite-sized pieces. That doesn't mean that they won't get to everything. I think there's a, a possible scenario where they break it up into bite-sized pieces and they and they vote on pretty much all the bite-sized pieces that need to get considered to reconcile it with the Senate bill. One of the specifics has been a 13-year period that people who are undocumented would need to wait to become citizens. That's what you're referencing when you're saying they're they're paying for the fact that they came without documents. The way a lot of House Republicans see it, and you hear more and more members talking about this publicly and privately, is that what they don't want to do is create... They feel that people who came with, without papers broke the law, and they don't want to give them something that people who applied, who, who followed the law, don't have. So they don't want to create a special way for people to get to be citizens, a special track or a special path or a special road that's just for them, because they feel that special treatment for people that they feel shouldn't, shouldn't get any favorable special treatment. They're not opposed to the unauthorized becoming citizens, but they don't want to create a special road for them the way the Senate bill does. So what they're proposing is that they give people legal status, and that would be the possibility of working in the U.S., traveling freely, no fear of deportation. But if they want to get to be citizens, they have to find another program that already exists. For example, your employer sponsors you or your child sponsors you or you marry a citizen. They have to use an existing path like that to get to citizenship. We talk about 11 to 12 million in this undocumented, unauthorized state. You represent small businesses as part of your group. And yet the argument goes for those who use the amnesty term that these 12 million people are taking away jobs in the United States. How does your group see that? Do they They, add to the jobs or do they take away? I work with small business owners who hire immigrants, and they tend to be, um, it's everything from dairy farmers to restaurant owners to construction contractors to healthcare services. What they tell me is they would rather hire Americans. It's a lot easier to hire Americans. People are going to speak English, and it's going to be, you know, there are going to be fewer hassles, but they just can't find enough Americans. And they, they would rat these companies, the reason they're part of my organization, they would rather be legal. They, the last thing they want to do is be in a position where they're risking their businesses by breaking the law. But they, and they try to advertise for Americans. And you hear about people who advertise in the inner city and recruit on Indian reservations and go to high schools, and they just can't find enough Americans to do the work. And there's a reason for that, which is that Americans are getting, these employers don't exactly always know the reason, but the reason is that Americans are getting more and more educated. In the 1950s, more than half of the American workforce were made, was made up of high school dropouts. Today, less than 10% of the American workforce is made up of high school dropouts. That's a good thing for America. We're getting more and more educated. But it means that if you're an employer looking for somebody to do a a hard, physical, outdoor job, there are probably not that as many people interested in it as we're interested in a few decades ago. So people are, are 
are hiring immigrants, and, and to their surprise, they're very, very pleased about how the immigrants work out. They're great workers, and they're very loyal, and it's, it's terrific for the company, and it usually helps create jobs for Americans, because if you have enough, I don't know, leaf blowers, then you have an extra job performance. What haven't we covered that you think it's important for our listeners to know? Well, you focus primarily on the unauthorized people already here. What my employers want is both a better some answer for the for the unauthorized workers already here, but they also want some new programs for the future so that they can hire immigrant workers legally. Because the guy who's already here working for him, he already has a job. But right now, if you're a Mexican and you have no family in the U.S. Uh, and you want to work year round, you have no way to get to the U.S. Your, your only choice is you have a choice. You can hire a smuggler to walk you across the desert, or you can hire a smuggler to walk you across the desert. There's no other choice. And the Senate bill has a guest worker provision, does it not? It does. And, the, and it's a very interesting program. It's very innovative and got lots of, you know, very thoughtfully put together. It's way too small. So, you know, if we look at how many people came in the past to do this kind of work illegally, that gives us some sense of the size of, of a program we're going to need. And the Senate bill is, you know, it's perhaps only, only it's, it's, it's much, it starts, when it starts, it's not even going to cover 10% of the workforce we need. And even when it grows, it's possible that it won't grow big enough. So, the, so that's, a, that's a key part of the legislation. The Senate has it, but it needs to be improved in now. Thank you so much, Tamar Jacoby, Chief Executive Officer of Immigration Works USA, our guest today on Latin Pulse. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life. An amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Recently, representatives of the U.S. Committee for Refugees and Immigrants, or USCRI, visited our studios to discuss immigration reform. The nonprofit group works with undocumented immigrant children who come to the U.S. without their parents. Here are excerpts from our conversation with Tiffany Nelms and Lee Williams. More than 20,000 children were taken in by the Border Patrol as part of U.S. immigration policy last year. What does your group do when you're notified that that something like this happens? Unaccompanied uh, immigrant children coming to the United States, the phenomenon itself is actually uh, a global phenomenon. Uh, The folks in Europe, uh, Europe is seeing an increase in the number of kids coming from Africa and Asia. And here in the United States, we're seeing an increase in the number of, of kids coming from Latin America as well as Asia and Africa. And our work with unaccompanied immigrant children really started in 2005 when we established our Immigrant Children's Legal Program, uh, where we have built a pro bono legal network uh, currently at over 2,000 lawyers across the country who provide assistance to unaccompanied immigrant children as they go through the adjudication process uh, in the immigration courts here in in the United States. So um, help instruct me a bit on this. Um, Are these children coming across by themselves? They've been separated from their parents. What exactly are the stories that you see for these thousands of children that you deal with? Right. 
There are a number of factors, uh, reasons why the kids are coming to the United States. I, I think the major reason that we that we keep hearing time and again, and Tiffany will certainly correct me if I'm wrong, is that kids are coming up to be reunited with their family who is already in the United States. Um, the number of kids who are coming to the U.S. and who have been apprehended by Customs and Border Patrol has grown exponentially over the last few years. For example, two years ago, the number of kids that entered into the federal shelter system because they were apprehended was about 8,000. And last year, in uh, federal fiscal year 2013, the number is projected to be final at over 24,000, roughly, in between 24 and 25,000. There are other reasons why the kids are coming, too. Um, Eighty-five percent of the kids that come to the United States or enter into uh, the federal system are coming from the three Central American countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And obviously, there are a number of issues uh, in, those, in those countries related to gang violence, poverty, drug trafficking, et cetera, that help precipitate uh, the urge for these children to to leave their home countries and move to the United States. So those three Central American countries, some people would wonder why not Mexico also on that particular list. Yeah, interestingly, the demographics of the kids have changed over the last few years. And whereas I think historically, the majority of kids have come from from, uh, Mexico, I think with the increase in the rates of violence, among other reasons, uh, that has changed. I mean, the economic conditions in Mexico have um, ameliorated. Uh, we, we certainly have seen analyses where the income level uh, in Mexico has increased to the point where the draw may not be as great as it once was. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that when kids get apprehended at the border, um, we have agreements in place with both the government of Canada as well as Mexico so that as these kids identify themselves as Mexican, rather than entering into the whole federal process, we basically put them on buses and repatriate them. Tiffany Nelms, anything that you'd like to add to those specifics? Um, A lot of the children coming from El Salvador and Honduras have family who are in the United States legally with uh, temporary protected status, TPS. These are people who came because of natural disaster, civil conflict back in the late 90s, who came to the U.S., thought they would establish themselves here legally and then bring their children. Many people didn't know they would not be able to bring their children or petition for them to come legally. So we have this whole generation of Salvadoran and Honduran youth who are 15 to 17 who were left as babies by their parents. And the separation for that long, kids just get desperate and they decide to come on their own, whether their parents, you know, many parents will tell their children, I don't want just stay in home country. We don't want you to try that journey on your own. But you know, 15 and 16-year-old boys often think they're invincible, so they will make that journey alone to try to reunite with their mom or dad. Um, many have other siblings who were born, born in the United States. Recently, we had the ambassador from El Salvador on this program talking about temporary protected in, in that status. And he's actually looking for some help in this immigration reform that we've been discussing in making some changes and making that more liberalized. Um, What are your suggestions regarding that status and other parts of immigration reform that we've been debating in this country? Well, USCRI has been advocating for 
five components within uh, comprehensive immigration reform. First of all, we're advocating certainly a pathway to citizenship for all of the for the folks who are here uh, as undocumented. But historically, family unity and family reunification has been an important component of U.S. immigration policy, and it's one that we would certainly encourage to continue. And as a part of that, um, I think we need to take a look at for folks who are here on TPS, whether it makes sense to have them at least have the ability to bring their children um, to a certain extent. Uh, I think it's hard to justify that if the either if the conditions in a country are unsafe for adults to be there, either because of some physical event such as Hurricane Mitch in Central America or because of uh, violence that's going on in the country, um, it would seem to me to make sense to also have folks who are here under TPS to be allowed to bring their children here as well. Why would we leave uh, uh, children alone in such a difficult environment? What do you say to those who have the more conservative view that we've heard this rhetoric, um, they're all breaking the law, they all need to go home. Um, So send the parents back. Even if they have a legal status, send them back because we don't want them breaking the law and we don't want to liberalize the laws any more than they are. You know, we... We are for a, a legal system and an immigration system that's fair. Uh, obviously, every country has to have a, uh, a an immigration policy and, and system in place that protects their, their people. Uh, but we also believe it's important to be humane in approach. And so, uh, again, one of the things that we believe is that part of the reason that there's such an increase in the number of kids coming uh, ties in nicely with the increased security at the U.S. borders as well. So that historically there seemed to there was a flow back and forth in between the United States and, and Mexico and Central America, where people may come up and work for the summer, uh, but there was the flexibility or a flow of people back so that they could be with their family. We think that with the tightening, tightening of the border and the prevention of people going back from visiting their family acts as a draw as well as uh, the way that TPS is, is currently structured. So there is a draw for these kids um, who, as Tiffany mentioned, you know, uh, may believe that they're superheroes and, and invincible to actually take the dangerous journey to the north. Speaking about the children specifically, um, we should look at them first as children uh, and then consider their immigration status after that, and it seems that the current system, we're looking at them first as immigrants, and then second, the child welfare comes into play, and I think we've got it backwards. What, what are your thoughts about um, this way that immigration reform, comprehensive reform, has been strung out politically? We would hope that the, the federal government, the Congress, would pick it back up, and the House of Representatives would begin the discussion again to get comprehensive immigration reform, reform in place. I mean, we are certainly advocating for its passage sooner rather than later. We think it's long overdue uh, and necessary. And uh, again, the five components that we think are so critical, well, the, the, the five that we're advocating for is pathway to citizenship, family unity, uh, integration into America, uh, so to make sure that there are uh, infrastructure, there's infrastructure in place so that as people immigrate to the United States, whether as immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, there are programs and services that help them become productive members of U.S. society as quickly as possible. Um, we also are advocating for the, the protection of vulnerable populations. And of course, the one that we're most concerned about are the, the unaccompanied immigrant children. 
And uh, they come oftentimes with a, a number of vulnerabilities, uh, whether it be that they've experienced some form of trauma or abuse. Certainly, uh, that's, that's uh, Tiffany's area of focus. We want to make sure that there are programs and services to help these kids when they come up here. Um, we also are pushing for legal counsel for these kids as well. Uh, as you may know, uh, immigration issues are considered civil issues rather than criminal, so that non-citizens are not afforded uh, legal representation currently within the immigration courts. So we find situations where, you know, you've got a 10-year-old kid, non-English speaker, uh, standing in front of a U.S. immigration judge as well as a federal lawyer, and they're basically deciding this kid's uh, fate as to whether he can stay in the United States or not. Not surprisingly, uh, children who have legal representation fare much better in terms of having their stories told and um, having a thoughtful process take place to decide whether there are reasons uh, for immigration relief for these kids to stay in the United States. Thank you so much. Our guests today, Lee Williams and Tiffany Nelms of the U.S. Committee for Refugees and Immigrants. Our guests today on Latin Pulse, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Megan Eckhamel, and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions.